Well, that felt kind of loud. Yeah, I, know, I forget. It turns do you, down. you do a pause. This is. Or is I just, I just, it, I just usually um, try to like jump in because I listen to it every morning. I have a tendency to be like, "I'm Michael Barbaro. This is the daily." You know what I mean? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so do whatever your gut feels, but like I'm always very cognizant of like, don't sound like that. Yeah. <laughs> um, why don't we just start from the top? <clears throat> Hi everyone, I'm Amanda Merck. And I'm Josh McCormick. This is Salute Talks. Last week, we began a conversation about the tenuous state of school discipline. Many schools are inadequately addressing the individual needs of students, especially those who have experienced early life trauma. Today, we're returning to this discussion to explore how we can move the needle in this issue and hopefully impact students' lives. Lizzie Perez, the director of school leadership at AIM Consulting, also returns to address how her work implementing trauma-informed care programs in schools is changing the way school staff think about emotional well-being, thus the way children feel about school, and it's making them better students. Lizzie, we've kind of been talking about some of these issues more from a bird's eye view, right? Kind of like the overarching themes. Can you provide in-depth, nuts and bolts perspective of why this issue is so important and why we need to change it now? Yeah, well, so there's so many studies that have been done, and, and one out of California from the Community Coalition talks about the pipeline to prison. And we can just look at that from, again, and relate it to our Texas study, which is the Breaking School Rules study. It, it mirrors the same sort of pattern. And what it's showing is that students of color are more apt to being suspended and being removed from class. And what it shows all the way down the, the road is there is not just a school-to-prison pipeline for students of color, students with special needs, but there's a school-to-prison pipeline even from foster care to prison. So youth of color are more likely than whites to be placed in the foster care system, and that really just breeds the ground for criminal justice systems. So some of the stats were pretty alarming. 70% of inmates in California, for example, um, state prison are former foster care youth, 70% of those students. So when you think about things like in Texas and in 2014 when we were given the letter from uh, at that point uh, I think it was Arnie Duncan who uh, sent the letter in 2014 to to every school in the US saying we have got to do something different we've got to change the way we are handling school discipline so he called it rethinking school discipline and at that point is when federally things were uh, looking like we needed to do a better job of supporting our youth, especially our students of color and our uh, students with special needs, it meant that having schools better equipped with knowing all kids and how they come to them. In other words, really taking that more holistic view of students and getting to know them at a deeper, richer level. Because what ends up happening is those kids are being placed in a out-of-school suspension, juvenile justice, alternative education. And at that point, it makes it very hard for them to recover because they are already on this pipeline, so to speak, of being set up to go to prison. Whereas the typical white kid, so to speak, is least likely to be suspended. So in our zero tolerance policy in 2014 or 2006 they they removed that but nobody was really doing anything about 
making changes on campuses from 2006 to 2014, there was still this sort of idea uh, that school principals and assistant principals were like, okay, well, I got to remove this kid. It says right here in the code of conduct. Thinking about foster kids, that's one reason I think that the Handle with Care program is so incredible is you've got these kids who have been taken away from their homes for various reasons, but say it's related to substance abuse or child Mm. abuse, you can safely assume that police have been called to that child's home multiple times before they were ever taken away. And they had to go to school the next day. So it's not just a matter of CPS is involved and and then that's now, or now that's a problem. Now schools should know, oh, this kid's going through something. No, that kid's been going through something for a while and in your classroom every day and you didn't know. Now with the Handle with Care notification, you know something was up last night, and then a year in the future, maybe then that's when CPS is getting involved. That is so true. Now, I also want to make uh, the statement that not all teachers don't know, right, about their students. There are demands placed on teachers, too, to really make sure they hit their content, make sure the kids are at a certain level. So there's this extra pressure for teachers that sometimes they do make the excuse that I don't have time as much time as I wish I did to really get to know kids. And so it's what is making time in the classroom, building relationships look like? So that's the sort of training that is needed to say, okay, well, what if we inserted a little therapeutic encounter right here when you sit with the student who has his head down, who's not speaking, who's not doing the work? And I remember this on a school referral that would say, insubordination, and I get the, the referral and the kid was in my office, insubordination. If you read the description, it says, Kyle does not want to do his work. So very opinionated choice of words on on that, and that's insubordination. Is that kid really being insubordinate? So what if that teacher chose to say, hey, Kyle, I noticed while while the other kids are working on a particular project, right? Now is an opportunity to go over there to Kyle and say, Kyle, I'm wondering if there's any way I can help you stay awake. It seems as if you didn't have much sleep last night. Are you okay? And when you get at that level and and you're eye to eye with that student, you're using that sort of love and care in your voice, and it's very genuine, you're going to get results. Kids can read in authenticity, too, and they can tell when you're just asking just to ask. And when you do make those therapeutic encounters, people don't realize that. If, if I had that same conversation or same style of conversation with Kyle four times within 60 minutes, research shows that his brain is already being rewired to know that there's people out there that love you. I know you can do this work. I believe in you. I wish you'd come back to school. Tell me how I can help. The more I engage with Kyle and any other kids, especially kids who have significant trauma, we are rewiring the brain by having those therapeutic encounters. So ACEs, if you look at it on a scale, four ACEs on one side, and you raise the other side of the scale, therapeutic encounter today, another therapeutic encounter, another therapeutic encounter. Now there's no way to erase the ACEs, but there's every kind of way you can to love a kid that starts to rewire the brain. It's like a paradigm shift for students. A lot of people would agree that education is one of the easiest doors to changing your status socioeconomically, mentally. And so if the school becomes that place where students are coming and they're finding that kind of care, that kind of support, I can't imagine what that would do for those students 
in their future. Yes. And we hear those stories all the time. And I can think of many teachers with whom I worked who had this incredible knack uh, for creating that loving, caring atmosphere in their classroom. And kids just wanted, they felt like they belonged. And I think it's more, we can't have schools where kids fit in. We can't have that. That sounds great. No, we want schools where kids belong, Mm. not just fit in. Do they feel like they belong? And that is a word that we take for granted and we just toss around like it's a silly word. But belonging is everything. And when you walk into a campus, you'll know if those students feel like they belong. And that goes so much further. And the, the, the stories that you hear later on, and I can think of so many of my students who were in uh, our campuses growing and having so many therapeutic encounters and learning and building that resilience right before our eyes and seeing them take off and flourish. Uh, I think of one particular young man who had every kind of uh, X against him, who is currently a high school football coach, tried to go pro for a minute. He got there, just an incredibly talented young man, but he wasn't always doing great things in school because he had so many adversities and uh, grew up in St. Louis and faced a lot of early death and parents left him. Just really a tough life, but grew up to be this upstanding young man who is being a role model for others. So yes, uh, the more that schools are showing those kinds of practices and beliefs and align and operationalize their values in a way that shows that they're loving kids, so many great things come from that. Lizzie, could you share some insight with listeners on how this problem is impacting the Latino community? Unfortunately, that six-year longitudinal study called Breaking Schools Rules uh, showed that they they did they started in 2002 and they followed these kids all the way up until uh, from seventh grade all the way up until graduation I believe there's three different cohorts and what they found was African American students did have a higher likelihood of school disciplinary action compared with the white and Hispanic students but the next group in after that were your Hispanics what makes it hard for Hispanic students I think is a, a couple of things access to care has always been an issue access to mental health care uh, but I'm going to go back to the stigma of the Latino culture of not sharing anything that's happening internally to you because you're not supposed to because your mother doesn't your father doesn't your grandparents surely didn't and your great grandparents surely didn't share any of those things so when it comes to sharing when you're hurting sharing when you need help uh, your pride takes over so in the latino culture if you're now have that black mark against you and then you happen to live in you know as a poor zip code in san antonio texas and you happen to have parents who've been incarcerated, and you happen to have a two-bedroom or one-bedroom apartment with 10 people living in that same apartment, and you as a high school student are having to work to support your family, you have a lot stacked up against you. So when you come to school and you're most likely unprepared because you didn't get enough sleep, you probably don't have materials that you need for class, most likely you're sitting there in a class with your head down asleep and that teacher is wondering what's wrong with you and why are you being insubordinate? Or that teacher is taking the time to really get to know more about this particular student. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Amanda Mark, a digital content curator with Salute America. 
Every school has children who have been exposed to trauma, violence, and overwhelming experiences. To help these students, schools and law enforcement across the country are partnering to launch the Handle With Care program, where police send a notification to schools when they come across a child at the scene of an incident. We at Salute America collaborated with the West Virginia Center for Children's Justice to bring you all the resources you need to get Handle With Care started in your community. Download the action pack now at salute.to slash handlewithcare. Hi, this is Stacy Cantu, a digital content curator at Salud America. The Institute for Health Promotion Research at UT Health San Antonio serves as the research powerhouse behind our organization. Salud America produces relevant and timely content about Latino disparities driven by the Institute's study of those trends. To read that work, visit salute.to slash research. Thank you. It sounds very dismal the way that we've been talking today, but it's the results of the study that show the truth. 97% of all of the discretionary placements in alternative school. Now I'm gonna go back and explain. Discretionary means you have some leeway. 97% of the discretionary placements, the kids were moved to an alternative setting or suspended. Discretionary, so that means any school principal who handled these discipline cases of this cohort of 928,000 students, which is a lot, during that time frame had a choice in how they were to deliver those consequences to students, which means they chose to send the kid home or they chose to send the kid to alternative school. So when you look at that data and you know that African-American students are going to be the first in line and the next group are the your Hispanic students, and then you add a disability in there, it's stacked up against these students. It's just sitting right there in the data, and it's telling us we've got to do better. It's tough. And I remember being in that situation as assistant principal for years, thinking about those teachers who looked at you like, you did not place that kid in in-school suspension, for example. You did not place a kid why didn't you place them in a school suspension? And I said, well, there's a variety of options I get. Once you relinquish control of that discipline referral and you hand it over to me, I have decisions that I can make. I listen to your story, and guess what? I get to listen to the student's story, and I got to take everything into account. And, you know, many, many times, days didn't end well when teachers came into your office or when I walked to their classroom to explain what the consequence was, and they were not happy with the choices because... That meant that kid was coming right back in their class the next day. And they couldn't even fathom how that kid would be coming back when that kid dropped a curse word. And so we we go deep into what curse word and at what point and what was it. And we've got to, as, as administrators, to really go deep into the intention. What was the intention of of that? Yeah, so it's a system that that lacks empathy, right? That there's nothing about what's going on with you or what your background is or what you're going through right now. It's you do something wrong, there's a penalty. That that must be a hard place for those students to live. Oh, my goodness. Yes, the system is, is what ends up failing. And even if somebody doesn't have the power but has the ability to impact and influence to change the system, that's what we're looking for in schools. Mm. Someone who will not accept 
this as an answer and to push forward. And I will be 100% honest. There were times I would question, I would probe, and I would go against the grain and do all the things to say, but why? And I'm a lot worse now. <laughs> and I say worse in a good way uh, because that's what gets you answers. But I was more reserved in my younger years because I didn't have very many people who modeled that way for me mm. to question if this was the right thing to do. And so I followed suit because I noticed the other assistant principals were doing that same sort of thing. So then for, therefore I must do that. And it finally, after a couple of years, I started going, I don't have to do this. Why am I following suit? I'm better than this. I've got to question more. I've got to probe. I've got to do right by kids. And I don't believe this system is working for kids. So let's overhaul this. In my personal life, going through the education system, something that I would hear over and over again, either from my teachers or administrators, was, well, we can't control who's coming to school. We can't control what these kids are going through. So we just got to react or whatever. And I think what you're saying is that from the teacher to the principal, at all those levels, each school official has to take personal responsibility, i.e., I chose to be here. I don't have a choice in what this child is coming to. That's true. But I do have a choice in how I handle them and how I help them grow. That's that's exactly it. And it's hard. There's no doubt about it. The, I like that you use the term personal responsibility. I think we, we use the term responsibility less than we use the term accountability. But when you talk about accountability, we, we talk about the ratings of our schools. But when we talk about personal accountability, those are the things we're accountable for is to ensuring that our systems run efficiently, but that our systems are equitable and not designed to hurt one race or one culture or one ethnic group or one student. One student. We've got to look deeper into that. And, and Next thing you know it, you're surrounding yourself with people who are looking for those social justice issues to push forth, to make a difference, and to change uh, the systems in a way that is going to benefit all students. And I think early on in my career, I didn't really have models that did that. Then I realized that I didn't need a model to show me the way, that intuitively I had that. And so that's when you start to see a more fulfilling job when you're doing things at a level that is systemic. And it starts with that impact and influence. Like, I'm just this peon on this one campus, but I can make a difference. And the more I can get people who are my early adopters who jump on in my early majority, then I'm gonna get those laggards to come on too. And, and we're gonna make change. But, cause I gotta keep telling my story. I gotta sound like a broken record. Cause I gotta build a common language for us to build a great culture. So people are gonna get tired of me. I don't care because I want this to be, you know, an internal shift for us. In one of our earlier episodes, we had Dante Jones, who started the Role Models program here in San Antonio. And one of the things that he likes to say is that you see a need, you fill a need. And I feel like that's kind of what you're describing. Yes. You can't fix the world, but you see a need in your life, in your job, in your community, and you're filling that. It reminds me of, I did a book study on Stephen Covey's The Eighth Habit. A lot of people don't realize that's out there. There's the seven habits of highly effective people. And then there's this Eighth Habit book. And it's one of those books that I take with me everywhere because there's so much richness in that book. And what he says, 
the eighth habit is finding your voice. And finding your voice is very easy when you put it in terms. It's sometimes hard to do, but it means that you recognize what your talents are, you see the need in the community, and you match your talents with that need. That's finding your voice. And when you find your voice, that's that's a habit you have to sustain over a period of time. So yes, I love that. In that vein, what are some immediate tangible actions that a listener can do to try to help change either their child or their district's school system to implement these things to try to help change the direction of their community to start educating children in a more holistic way to prepare them to be members of society? Oftentimes when I was in schools, we expected our parents to come to us. But what we found out was, no, 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 we got to go to them. And we've got to give them the ability to understand that we are here for your kids and we are here for you. And here you see me having barbecues in, in your community centers and doing these things so that when you're ready, you can come to our schools. And when you come to our schools, we're going to help you integrate into being a uh, uh, a helpful tool in, in, in your kids' education. So when I think about how can we get more community members, parents to be more inquisitive, to find out how to change the culture of schools when it comes to making sure that systemic issues are not failing a kid, I think it's being extremely inquisitive. It, it's never accepting the answer. I know for someone like me, when I'm told, well, we, we don't do that, I will go, can you tell me more about that? Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's really being kind of a pain in the rear uh, in the way of producing results. The other thing is to volunteer and be a member of any committee that you can be a part of. Here's another piece I would throw out. School board is a great place to be informed. If you go to school board monthly meetings, it's a great place to learn about everything from budgetary things to personnel issues. That's where everything gets passed that ends up becoming a decision on a campus. And a lot of people don't realize that decisions are made based on policy and the policy comes in the policy handbook and that's being talked about in school board meetings. So if you want policy change, then go to school board meetings and and just start listening and pay attention and educate yourself. I would strongly encourage community members and parents and anyone else to just be actively engaged in whatever capacity. So ask questions, get involved, and don't accept no as an answer to something that you feel could be beneficial for kids. So it's, uh, I guess, taking that perspective that it really does take a village. It does. It really does. Well, Lizzie, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. It's been my pleasure. Thanks again to Lizzie for joining us in these discussions and for her efforts to implement holistic care and education into our schools. To read more about Lizzie's work, please visit aimeducate.com or by checking out this episode's webpage at salute.to backslash salute talks. Salute Talks is produced by Josh McCormick and the media team at Salute America. It is executive produced by Dr. Amelie Ramirez. The music heard on this podcast is produced by Bonus Points. Find Salute America online at salute-america.org. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and other social platforms at Salute America. Watch our award-winning videos on YouTube by visiting salute.to slash video. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, or wherever you listen. Thanks for listening, and as always, we hope you enjoyed.